when you're in the restroom when you need to be uh, up front. That's a little different. Um, uh, listen, uh, Nicole, why don't you wave at people? This is Nicole Kyle. She is the leading candidate for the new worship director position. This whole weekend she's been here meeting with staff and volunteers and, and discussing with the elders. So um, Nicole, uh, welcome back to High Point because this is not your first time. You've been here many times. And so why don't you give her a round of applause for the worship set. Um, I am here and for whatever reason, the clickers are not here. There it is. Cool. Thank you, Nick. Um, to be a, to discuss the second part, hmm, I, I'm sure they'll get that going here pretty soon. Um, this is the, the second installment of a four-week series on prayer. Uh, last week, Nick took on the question of, you know, why we fast? Why is it that we, we speak to a God who we can't see? What is it about him that causes us to fast? It's last, to, to pray is last week. And this week, we're going to uh, continue in this series and talk about uh, fasting with a sincere heart that prayer and fasting are kind of uh, twin disciplines. In the course of this uh, sermon, you'll hear me talk about fasting and I'll really be talking about the prayer that is done in fasting. So, uh, so don't be confused by that. When I'll, I'll be talking about well, the fast will accomplish this. What I, I think what I'm, I'm saying actually is uh, that when you turn away from food to our God to seek him, and to become more like him, to know him, that, that is what I'll be saying. So I'll be talking about fasting, but that's, that's the heart of it, is the prayer life directed towards God. Um, and uh, fasting um, is something that has taken on a renewed kind of interest in my life personally. And this particular film was the reason for it. This film is War Room. It's by the Kendrick Brothers. The Kendrick Brothers are out of Albany, Georgia. Uh, I know at least one of them, I believe both of them were on staff at a church in Albany, Georgia. And um, they be started doing films. And this is the fifth film. It's one of the most successful, uh, $73 million, uh, in gross revenues on a $3 million budget. And Hollywood is starting to take notice. I want to say that TriStar Pictures is a Sony company. If it's not, um, they, they, they started working with, with uh, Sony. And so they are uh, becoming more big time. This film, War Room, um, is a strong film, really impacted my life. It's a story of uh, three central characters, uh, Elizabeth and Tony, who are married, and a woman named Clara. Elizabeth and Tony are married. They live in the South. They have a big uh, mansion, a wonderful home, but a troubled marriage. And Tony's just so invested in his work and he's so successful that his heart is all directed there. And his wife sees that he's neglecting her and her, their daughter and she's not happy. So you know how this kind of goes. The nagging, the I'm providing, the nagging that I'm providing and no end in sight. And Clara is a woman who's selling her house and Elizabeth is her realtor. And she begins to share some of the story and Clara says, listen, Elizabeth, you need to begin praying for your family. And she takes her into her own, Clara's own prayer area. And she sees how peaceful it is. And she sees this record of prayers and answered prayers over the years. And Elizabeth gets inspired. And she says, you know what? What do I got to lose? My marriage is on the rocks. 
It's one week, sometimes Nick will talk about this, you know, that we think our marriages are going great, one week later, right? But she, in her case, she knew she was like one day from divorce. So she said, I, I love this man, it's worth fighting for, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna seek God about this. And she starts praying, she goes into her closet, she moves all her shoes, she starts writing these lists of prayers. And her husband begins to see a change in her. He's still traveling. In fact, there's another lady uh, at the office that's got his attention, and he's almost ready to go there. But she begins praying. She sees this change in, in her life. At first, he, he, just, she re, he responds to her bitterly. But then she sees that she's just still gracious and nice. And, and Tony has this disaster. He loses his job because he's cheating as a salesperson. He loses his job, and he gets to a place where he sees his wife. What got him was that when he went home to tell her, honey, this great sprawling house is gonna be lost because of this, she was like, no problem, we'll, we'll figure this out. And he knew this was, something was crazy. This is God. This is amazing. And he falls to his knees in despair, saying, God, if you can do this for her, what can you do for me? And the life slowly begins to, to change, and he begins investing in his wife and his daughter, and the film ends with him being the director of a community center and being more engaged with his family, and Clara in her prayer closet, thanking God for answering prayer, Clara in her praise, for asking God to have a national prayer movement. So I went to Nick after this film. I said, Nick, this film, I think this film might catch on in America, and people might be inspired to pray. And I was like, I don't know if it had caught on in America, but it caught on in with me. And I went to the store and I bought a prayer journal. I started writing prayers. And then the next thing I did is I said, you know what? I'm calling a fast. I began looking at my life as a husband, a father, a minister, a friend, a brother. And I said, deficiencies. And some deficiencies for years. And I would try some things and no success and try for no success and got to a place where like, Lord, no, no, I really want to be like you. I really want to be righteous, not playing righteous. I really want to be holy. I really want to be loving. I really want to experience the joy of the Lord. Lord, I really want you. I began to think like that and I started praying on Thursdays and it had an impact on me. And the elders began talking about whether we needed to have a series for prayer. What really got me was we went and we were talking about what themes we should work on. And everybody on the staff, everybody on the staff had prayer as one of the things that we should work on as a church. And so Nick drove in. He said, hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to do, we're gonna do work on prayer and small groups and, and the congregation and elder meetings. And it's already been, been changing the ways in which we go about serving Jesus Fasting. What is fasting about? Fasting is temporary abstinence from food so that you can direct your heart towards God. Temporary abstinence from food so that you can direct yourself more fully towards God. Well, why should I do something like that? Well, here's the thing. It's the, it's the good things of life that get in the way of having a heart towards God. It's not so much porn and wickedness and abundant drunkenness. It's not so much that. You know what it really is? It's TV. It's internet. It's 
food, it's drink, it's the normal, everyday gifts and pleasures and conveniences that God gives us is what draws our heart away from God. And if you think I'm exaggerating the point, think about this. Take away for two weeks, go without your cell phone. For two weeks, go without your television set. And see if you, if you don't become irritable and mean and nasty, right? Come on now. In my family, I know that, that if I take away the cell phones, right, it's going to be trouble in the Biddle household. Listen, it's the, it's, the, it's the temporary, it's the ordinary, it's the, it's the nice things that get us watching TV, Nick said, 30 hours a week. Come on. 30 hours a week, the average uh, student or child in a household? That's a, that's a lot. I wonder if we can get them reading their Bibles 30 hours a week. It's the ordinary things. What I'm saying is the good things is, are, are the things that draw your heart away from, from God. So fasting helps us control our appetites for God's good gifts and increase our appetites for himself. You see that? Control your appetites for his good lesser gifts so that you can increase your appetite for God. That, that when we fast, what we're saying is, Lord, above all else, above everything, give me yourself. That's the mindset of a, of a faster. And I'm saying that when you fast with that heart, kind of heart, you will be rewarded. That's what we're going to see today in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. What we're going to see, the main point of that text is that fasting with a sincere heart is rewarded. And as I work this sermon out, here are my four main points. That fasting is integral to Christian worship. Fasting has kind of got a bad rap in Christian circles. Um, people don't uh, consider it something that they want to engage in. I want to talk a little bit about that. Fasting is for God's approval, not man's. So it's not about looking holy. It's not about looking pious. It is about being holy. It is about depending on God. Fasting is uh, uh, with a heart of devotion is what pleasing, pleases God. It's your heart that pleases God not so much your activities, and fasting with a sincere heart, that's what is actually rewarded. So let's get started. We'll jump right in. Fasting is an integral part of Christian worship. Let's look at our text this morning. It's Matthew 6, 16 through 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father in heaven who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you when you fast. I did a, a survey of people I know at the church, about five, six men. And I said, tell me about when, over your experience in, in, in being in the church, these people have been in the church their whole lives, uh, when, you, when, you, when your church has called a fast, when you've participated in a fast. And he was like, no. In fact, somebody went so far as to say to me, if you could show me a biblical case for fasting, I might consider it. And I took that as a challenge. And some people believe that Jesus never really had much to say about fasting. You know, if Jesus had said this was important, then we would do it. But that's simply not the case. Jesus actually did say, in fact, he expects you to fast. He says, when you fast. In fact, in, in, in Matthew chapter 9, 14 through 15, he goes a little bit further. John's disciples came up to him. John the, uh, the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. His disciples came to Jesus and they said this. 
The disciples came and asked him, so how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often? In fact, in that time, it was common for, for the Jews to fast at least twice a week. How is it that we fast often, John's disciples and the Pharisees, but your disciples don't fast? So listen, Jesus is like, listen, man, the Messiah is here. Your long-awaited king is here. Uh, the, the, the one who is going to usher into to this eternal kingdom. I'm here. This isn't time for a fast. This is time for a party. So he says to them, listen, Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? I'm here. Jesus, your, your king has arrived. Let's have a, and they were like, well, we know what the reception was like, right? How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. There'll come a period when Jesus will come preach his gospel, uh, die for our sins, accomplish our atonement, uh, uh, raise back to the Father, establish his church, send the Holy Spirit. Men will long for the opportunity to touch their God, to see their God, to hear his voice. Men will then long to actually see Jesus. I hope some of you are like that that you have a heart where you long to see your, your Lord and Savior as a Christian. He says, at that time, you will fast. So Jesus has said, when you fast, fasting is an integral part of Christian worship. Um, there are times in my life, and I can't, I, this isn't every week I wish I could say, but there are times when all I want to do is be in the presence of God and experience the stillness that comes from just knowing that he is there. So in the course of my fasting, I come in here on, on Thursdays and it's completely quiet, at least when the kids aren't running upstairs in the balcony there. If it's completely quiet because school's in, it's quiet and I can turn just a little bit of a light out in the front, right, lighting the cross. And I'll sit down and I'll meditate on this scripture. This vision of heaven, of Christ as the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God. This is a picture of our atoning Christ who died for our sins. He's on his throne. And he's gathered his people to himself. And now it's time to worship. And now it's time to celebrate. He's on his throne. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before this mighty, powerful, gracious, loving, truthful, everlasting savior. Oh my God, he's awesome. And they fell down before this God and worshiped him, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And I'll be in the sanctuary and I'll be sitting there in the quiet and I'll, I'll sit there and this peace will come and I'll imagine. I just really want to be an usher in heaven. I don't really need to be up front. I just really, just let me be an usher. Just let me see the glory of God. Let me see Jesus. Let me worship. Let me praise. Let me have the tears wiped out from my eyes. I just want to be there. Come on, talk with me. Amen. 
And this is the attitude that God's people, that God wants his people to have. Arguably his greatest king, King David, had this attitude. He expressed it in this Psalm 63 and 1. He says, you, God, are my God. Man, I'm not worried about the world and whether they want to receive Jesus. I, I want everybody to receive Jesus, but you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. We need to have a hunger for God. This means a lot of things, but I think it means a hunger for his presence, to be able to know that Christ is working among us, to get to that still place where you can feel the spirit of God and hear God directing you. Come on. You, we, need to, we need to thirst after the presence of God. We need to know him better about his righteousness and holiness. Because why? Because he, he has called that we should be like him. He has called us here in Christ. He's restoring the image of God. So we need to know what that image is. We need to know what righteousness is. We need to pursue peace and joy and love and faithfulness and perseverance. We need to be like our God. We need to know him. We need to desire to be more like him. We need to hear his voice. We need answers to prayer. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I already got two cars and a house. And if you go into my home, I got a third car, a garage, a third bay, totally filled. I've been trying to get rid of that, that bay cleared since I moved from Wadsworth to come to me. I still cannot get rid of I got plenty of stuff. I need more of what Jesus can do in me in terms of forming character. In I want to do more for Jesus. I want to be in that place and have a, a stronger, great celebration. I want to bring some other folks with me through my ministry. I want us to have throngs of people worshiping God. That's what God would want for us. I want more of what God wants for me. I got enough stuff for now. I want to hear Jesus. I want to pray the kinds of prayers that he would want to hear. I want to see them answered. We need a hunger for God. That's what fasting is about. We fast because it helps cultivate a hunger for God. And if you don't have a hunger for God, you fast for that too. Because you should have that aspiration to see your fulfillment in your, in your Lord and Savior. Therefore, fasting is an integral part of the Christian life. It's not a casual, maybe kind of a thing. It's a core part of the Christian life. Second point, fasting is for God's approval, not man's approval. It isn't about piety. It isn't about me looking good in front of the saints or anybody else. It's about a heart devoted towards God. And we see this in Matthew 6 and 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. He's saying, listen, what the hypocrites do is they, they, they come and they do their thing, and they're, they're really pursuing the honor and praise that comes from, from men. They, they participate in religious activities, even fervently. But really what they're after is your praise. They want to be seen as holy, when inside, really, they're not holy. Well, God is saying, you've got, you've received your reward. No hypocrisy 
in any service that you do for God. And in ancient Israel, this was a massive problem, hypocrisy, looking like you were serving God, but actually having your heart directed elsewhere. And so God sends the prophet Isaiah to his nation with a charge, and he's kind of hot about it. He says this, shout it aloud, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For today after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for a decision. They seem eager to come to God, near the, to have God come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And here's God's accusation. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit your workers. You own fields, and you pay them too little, and they work too much. You're exploiting your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. In the community, people are so self-centered that they're fighting. They're, you're fighting with your neighbors. On the day of you fast, you, you fast, you put on sackcloth and ashes, which was, would have been the custom for their time, and after a day of that, you go home and fight with your wife. We don't need that. Jesus is saying, God is saying, we don't need that. that that's not an acceptable fast. Your, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for you to look holy? For you to humble yourselves? Is it only for bowing your head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So God is saying, listen, that hypocrisy, whether it be that I'm serving uh, in the church for man's glory or what I really want is what God can give and what man can give. I want, I want both. I want it all. Both of those forms of hypocrisy. And I want to say it's that second form that we need to be most on guard of. You know, woe to the pastor who preaches for 15 years, but he really actually hates foreigners and poor people. Woe to the person who serves in children's ministry for 25 years, but every weekend is a drunken uh, festival of partying and indiscretions. Every weekend, but I'm every Sunday for 25 years, I'm faithful. And woe to the person, for five years they've been inviting people to come to church. And some of those people have come and they hear Pastor Nick and they've come to faith, but when they go to work, they talk badly of their boss and they're, they're ruthlessly in pursuit of, 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 of advancement on the job. And God is saying, no. He's saying that your heart must be devoted to him in the, your, the ways in which you worship me. So the first thing we have seen is that fasting is vital. The second thing is that God demands that the heart must be directed towards him and not towards something else, not towards man, not towards yourself. Your heart has to be properly directed because fasting is fasting with a heart of devotion that pleases God. Let's see that. 16, verse, uh, Matthew 6, 17, 13. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father in heaven 
who is unseen. What, what, what God is saying is, look to me for all of your needs. And don't look to the world. Don't look to anything else. Do this for me. And this is a really important point because in this area of Scripture, from chapter 6 all the way through this area, God talks about this very clearly. He says it in Matthew 6 and 1. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness, all of the the ways in which we obey God and do his will. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have your reward. So in everything, and he's more specific, he says, okay, so that when you give to the needy, when you give money to food for the hungry, when you give to the food pantries, when you come and turn in your yellow benevolence uh, packets, when you send money to, he said, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, on the streets, to be honored by others. Their heart is directed towards the fame, not be, to do God's will. Their heart is directed towards fame, not to do God's will. And that's, that's when we look at so much charity that's done in our country. The typical way charity is done is to give fame to the big donors. The God is saying, don't bring me that. They have their reward. He's saying, give because I have given to you. Give because uh, you have a generous God to reflect the generosity of your God that has provided all things generously for us to enjoy. Give because you have faith that God will, will provide for all of your needs as you pursue righteousness first. That, that's why you give, not for fame and acclaim. Truly, I tell you, if you go with that bad attitude, you have a reward. But when you give to the needy, you do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. See that extreme? It's impossible to do that. He's trying to say, but this is how serious he is about this. He's saying, live, just, just give because it's good and right. And you want the poor to be restored because you don't want to see homeless people because you want their lives to be changed around, because you want them to come to God. Give for that reason. Do that so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then he says, listen, all your righteousness, he's specific, I mean your generosity. And then he goes to prayer. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. You see this three different times. They have their reward for all righteousness. They have their reward for generosity. They have their reward. Listen, he's not interested in empty ritualism. He's interested in our relationship and a loyalty of heart. He's not interested in ritualism. He's interested in authentic faith. That's what is rewarded. Every service that we do is to be rendered from that devoted place that God is Lord and we are his humble servants. I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your prayer closet and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who is, sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what's my point? Here's a pro- portrait of devotion. The heart that pleases God, the heart that is rewarded, a portrait of devotion. When we give to the needy, we must aspire to please God alone. When we pray, we must aspire to please God alone. When we fast, we must aspire to please God alone. When we preach, we must aspire to please God alone. When we usher, we must aspire to please. When we serve in children, we must aspire. When we evangelize out in the world, we must aspire to please God alone. Why? So then you won't be disappointed 
when men do what men do, which is persecute you and turn their backs on you. You will say, man, you know, he's a sinner like me. I'm still going to serve Jesus because I'm a part of his kingdom. And this is what I do is serve my gracious king. We must have a devoted heart to Jesus in order to be a substantive Christian, in order to grow in Christ. You need to aspire towards this level of single-mindedness in your lifestyle. Jesus is first, and everything else that he gives is nice. Jesus first, everything else is nice. Fasting done with a heart of devotion, this is what pleases God. Fasting with a sincere heart receives God's reward. That's the sweet spot. And that's what Matthew 6, 18 says. It says, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you when you fast. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. This is a promise that when you devote yourself to God, when you seek his first, him first in all of his righteousness, he will meet all of your needs. It is a promise. So it begs the question, what are the rewards of a Christian? Well, they're all over the scripture. New Testament and Old Testament. But I think one of the best places to target is Isaiah 58 through 12. One of the best places to look for the rewards of a righteous lifestyle is here. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing the finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. He will be like a, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. How many of you want to be like that? A well-watered garden. Where, where your friends and neighbors can come looking for, for uh, instruction and help in a whole variety of ways. How many of you want High Point to continue on this trajectory of being a strong uh, disciples, substantive, mature, and able to provide resources to our, our, our community? To be a place of restoration and helping and hope and love. How many of you want to be a part of a church like that? How many of you want your families to be strong and stable and united? This is what, this is what the promise is for righteousness. You will be a well-watered garden like a spring whose water never fail. You will rebuild ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. And you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. So let's lay these out. There, there is what I want to say to you in terms of rewards. There is an honor and favor that God gives his people before men. Did you know that? That God gives honor and favor. You don't have to go do things in pursuit of it. He will give that to you when you live your life and do righteousness for his sake. He will give you righteousness. I saw this on the mission field in 2003. Went on a short-term mission trip to Kinskoff, Haiti for a week with a variety of churches, eight or 10 of us building benches for a week. 
partnering under a, a pastor, a local pastor's leadership, going to church, building benches, taking all of our luggage and giving things to the orphan boys, some of them who had no shoes, some of them who had never gotten a Christmas gift. Man, I remember giving these, these shoes to this one kid. I remember this one kid getting this electronic kind of head deal at the time. I don't know, it was Walkman or something. And the, the kid, he just looked at that thing. He just looked at that thing like we had given him a million bucks. Brand new shoes because they were walking around shoeless. And they were just like excited. I remember myself saying, I want to pray for every kid. I, again, this was the, the text where Jesus said, don't hinder the children. Let them come to me. Let them come to me so I can pray. I wanted to pray for every child. Our righteousness was going before us so that after eight days, we did one day of, of evangelism in the neighborhoods. We led one person to Christ. And I remember one thing in specific. We walked by this young lady. Uh, young mom, single mom, had a baby. She looked like the baby was on death's door. When we walked by, we were moved. We were like, oh my God, we dropped to our knees. And I remember, this is how I felt. I was like, oh God, you gotta heal this baby. Oh God. And we prayed, asked God for healing for this child. And when, before we left, we saw the countenance of the child change. We saw the child smile at us. We saw the child moving and, and around. We saw the, the, the mom, like, restored. And we didn't follow up. So I don't know what the long-term benefit was. But I'm trying to tell you that our righteousness went before us. I'm trying to tell you it was the hardest place I ever did was to leave Kenscough, Haiti. The community came out when our trucks were moving out of town. They came out to say goodbye. And I remember sitting on the truck and going and saying to my, looking back on these people that I had come to love in just one week. And where God's righteousness went out in terms of helping and, and relieving and caring and healing his righteousness through us towards them and their, their response of, of, of grace and love towards us. And I remember saying to myself, man, it's hard to leave this place. There's an honor and a favor that God gives people before men when we are righteous, when we, when we are the, have the right heart towards him. And there's healing, both physical and spiritual. There's protection. When we were there, it was still a dangerous, Hades kind of a dangerous, dicey place. But he protected us while we did our ministry. And there's answered prayer. How many of you have things you've been praying for yourself and your family for? Years. People, lost friends or neighborhoods. You've been praying. There's answered prayer. He's saying, here I am. When you get your, ourselves right before God, he wants to hear our prayers. He answers them, though not always as we think he, he might. He answers our prayer. He gives guidance on, those, on tough issues. The elders have been needing guidance. God has been giving us guidance. We've been working in unity. That's going to continue, but because of God, working in us, working in his church, through the Holy Spirit, who gives us guidance. We need guidance. He gives material provision. That's in that list. In the midst of the famine and the sun-scorchedness, he, he provides. Serve God. Young person, you're thinking about your career. Become a Christian. Recognize your, your, your need for your Savior. Come, come to, to Christ. 
He will restore your soul. He'll give you everlasting life. He'll produce himself in you. He'll give you this other promise where you don't have to worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek him first and all his righteousness. Jason and Jared, all his righteousness. He's going to take care of you. Seek him first. He'll take care of material provision. He provides strength for your churches and your families. And the ability to restore what is broken. In our communities in Madison, there are certain things that are broken, certain institutions, certain communities. And we as a church have been a part of fixing and repairing, and we want to be even more a part of that. How many of you want to be more a part of restoring what is lost and broken in Madison? Both the physical institutions, but also the people. We want them to know who God is so that they can begin, uh, stop doing these self-destructive behaviors, recognizing that God loves them and will sustain them. I want them to, I want to rebuild people. I want to rebuild institutions. You want to rebuild people. You want to be a part of a church that rebuilds institutions. Isn't that right? And this is this God promises. That's what he wants for us, for his people to be restorers and regenerators, to transform the community in him. That's, that's one of the rewards that he gives. And so the elders have called for an upcoming day of fasting from the evening of Tuesday evening after dinner through 8 o'clock when our all-church prayer meeting ends. And we have laid not, an exclu- not a total comprehensive list of prayers out for you to, to pray that you should have gotten when you came in. This list of, of prayers, if you didn't get one when you leave, you can go right by the info desk and pick one up. But some of the prayers, one of the, maybe the most important prayer, the elders have been talking about this since I got on the board when Nick came, that we want to be a kind of place where each of us uh, leads many people to Christ. That as a, as a body of believers, that we come together to lead people to Christ and build folks up. We want that for ourselves. We want a greater hunger for God from every person that we would, we would aspire to be more like him, that we would aspire to grow in righteousness, that we would have a zeal for, for prayer and a zeal for worship, that, 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 that there wouldn't be any lethargicness in the way in which we worship our God, but that we would pour our hearts out towards him. There's all kinds of wonderful prayers in here. For, for us to be more intergenerational, that we will continue that rich history that this church has had as being a church for all ages. We, we will continue this growing tradition of our church of being more multicultural. We got some great prayers on this list for our church. We want you to, to pray with that. And we want you to think about the prayers that you have for yourself, for your families, for your neighbors. I have a friend in Illinois who's been battling cancer. I need to dedicate a day or two to praying for him. I want you to, who's that person that you really need to pray for and ask God for what only he can do in their lives? So we've got these prayers that are there that we're going to pray for. And God is going to, 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 to reward us when we fast with the right attitude. I'm going to ask my wife to come now. I want to give a testimony of how God rewards 
uh, fasting that's done with the right heart. And so, wifey, won't you come on? And she'll give her testimony. If you're newer, that's what I call Deborah. Wifey. Hello. My name is Debbie, not wifey, but I'll answer to either one. <laughs> um, in 2001, our youngest son, Jared, began to have some seizures. He was almost two and a half years old when he had the first one. He climbed into bed with me and he was sleeping and then suddenly he had a seizure. He had a grand mal seizure and those are the ones where you lose your consciousness and you have these very violent muscle um, convulsions and your whole body shakes and um, Foam at the mouth. Yeah, foam, you foam at, the, at the, mouth. the mouth too. But it's very disturbing to see, um, shocking and frightening, and um, especially when it's someone you know and you love in your own family, and especially when it's your toddler. So I um, freaked out <laughs> quite naturally and screamed and yelled for Lloyd, and an ambulance came and took him to the hospital. And when we got there, the um, physicians checked him over and couldn't really find anything wrong with him. They suggested that perhaps he was sick and that a fever was what had caused his seizure, but he, he hadn't been sick, and that really wasn't the case. And they said um, maybe it was our family history, so they asked about um, all of our relatives, and we have no family history of epilepsy or seizures. And so they said, well, it could just be a one-time thing. Just go home and take care of him and watch him and see if it happens again. So a few months passed and nothing happened right away. And then suddenly when I was thinking we were in the clear, he had another seizure. And we took him back to the doctor with the same results. And then a few shorter weeks had passed and he had another one. And we went to see a specialist, a neurologist who specialized in seizure disorders in children. And he um, explained to us that our situation really wasn't all that bad because he worked with kids who were having seizures 25 to 30 times a day. So our situation didn't really move him all that much. But he did give us some insight in saying that what typically happens is the more you have a seizure, the more likely you are to continue having them, the longer they'll be, and the more risk towards neurological damage or some or other sort of physical problems. So he said we would want to consider um, some medication for him or perhaps changing his diet because sometimes that helps with people. But he said the diet was one that was really high fat really nasty like eating mayonnaise several times a day and that would be kind of your meal and we knew a two and a half year old wasn't going to do that so we um just continued to pray about that. And in the midst of all these seizures, we were planning to relocate to a more northern part of Illinois in Wadsworth. And so that all of that was creating this stress in our family. And so we continued to pray. We had to change doctors. We started all over again. They gave us, um, he had to submit to some sleep studies. So we had to do those again. And they attached electrodes to his head and said, okay, go to sleep now. <laughs> And as you know, a toddler is not going to do that. So they drugged him so that he would go to sleep. And then the test results yielded no insights whatsoever. So we decided, because he kept having them more frequently, that we would give him the drug.
drugs, and they were Depakote and phenobarbital, which are very strong drugs in general, but specifically for a toddler. So we gave them to him, and he stopped having seizures, but he was lethargic, he was tired all the time, he lost his... Uh, bubbly personality, you can't tell it by looking at him over there, but he used to have a really bubbly personality. <laughs> and he was, you know, your typical boy, full of high energy, and he lost that on these drugs. And so um, we, uh, we noticed that this wasn't really working for us because he, he was getting sicker in a different way. So we um, prayed about it and just continued praying, hoping that nothing was going to happen. So we... Um, gradually weaned him off those drugs. And then the Lord in prayer said for me to call for a fast. So I, I did that. I called, I actually emailed my close friends, my mother, my sister, and um, my sorority sisters. And I asked them to pray with me for complete healing for 40 days for Jared. And they had a lot of questions about why, why would I do this? And I, I don't know. I just knew that Lord God wanted me to do it, and that if I did it, um, I would just pray that there there would be some relief for him. And so they prayed and they fasted. Some fasted from food a portion of the day. Some fasted certain days during the week. Some fasted from TV. Some fasted from um, their computers. It's different things for different people. I didn't care what they fasted from, just so long as they fasted. So we all continued to fast and pray. The church was praying. My extended family was praying, and we um, felt God working in us, but we um, experienced what I believe is a, a miracle and only happened because of these prayers that God gave and uh, that we offered to God. And um, what happened was at the end, at, from the time that I called the fast, to this day, Jared's never had another seizure. And I give all the praise and glory to God because I know it was his will and, and it was because of him that Jared is healed. And also because of the faithful prayers of those people who prayed with me for those 40 days. Amen. Thanks, Rocky. I want you to know that fasting is uh, a grace of God. Uh, everything that he commands and gives us is grace. And any results that come are also grace. Everything is from him and to God. Amen. I want you to also know this, that, that uh, God is not a genie in a bottle. And what I'm not trying to preach to you today is that whatever's going on, if you will just, you know, get your heart right and fast and, and, and God will do it. No, he says that if, if you uh, will devote your hearts to him like a child devotes their heart to their parent, if that's the way in which you go about living your lives and in fasting, he will reward you. And it won't be always the thing that you think you should get. Because he works out all things in conformity with the purpose of his will. He will answer the things that you really need. And most of us, what we really need are not shiny new things. Most of what we need is more substance in our Christian faith. He's going to give us what we, what we need. And it, it'll be through his will that he does this. And so I want to say, how can you join us in the fast? So we're going to fast from the evening of Tuesday 
through the evening of Wednesday. And some of you won't be able to participate because you have, there's certain medical restrictions. And we want to say, definitely heed those medical restrictions. And we would advise, maybe you should give up that one really difficult other thing. Your cell phone your, uh, for a day, your television for a day. Give up one other thing. For those of you who don't have any medical restrictions, join us in, in the fast. And what I want you to do is that, that morning, dedicate some time for a prayer. Maybe you want to get a, a prayer journal. I like to record uh, the things I've prayed so I can see how God has, has moved in my life. You might want to do that. You might want to praise and sing. And at lunchtime, plan ahead. Maybe you'll get together with some of your friends to pray and seek God. And I think the most difficult time might be between five and seven when you're waiting for the, for the prayer and fasting. I think that when we come together, you're going to get renewed. That there'll be just this joy. You'll have the band up here. We'll be singing that song, event song. Uh, Nick will be leading us in prayer. There'll just be this great time of coming together because of our hunger for God, directing our hearts and souls towards God, asking him to do the things that we know from the word of God he wants to do in his church. And we're going to rejoice. And after that 8 o'clock time, you'll have food and crackers to break the fast. I want you to know this. Fasting with a sincere heart is rewarded. And here's why. That God rewards fasting because fasting expresses the cry of the heart that nothing on earth can satisfy our souls besides God, that he is what we all need more than anything else on, on earth. And that is why we enter into a fast. Let's pray. Lord, during this uh, year, during this week, for our entire lives, Give us a greater desire to love you. Lord, not because of the things you can give us, but because of your presence and your righteousness and your holiness that renews us. Lord, we want to know you more. We want that relationship to just be the heart of everything we do, that that would be the center of our joy. We, we, we want to, 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 to see some things accomplished that you want accomplished in our communities. More souls for Christ. More empowered missionary efforts. A greater heart for our neighbor. Lord, we want our righteousness to go before us like the noonday. We want you to be our rear guard. We want you to answer our prayers. Lord, bless us. Give us a greater hunger for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to take some time to respond now.